You're listening to CGSR 88.5. I'm Lucas Anders, your correspondent for Moving Radio. Film and television has long explored paranormal, influencing pop culture and our perception of reality. With the release of Ghostbusters, Afterlife, movies like The Conjuring, television like X-Files and Ancient Aliens, it's interesting to explore how media like that can influence our subconscious and the world around you. Dr. Paul Kingsbury is an Associate Dean in the Faculty of Environment at Simon Fraser University. He's earned a PhD in Geography from Kentucky University, has a special interest in paranormal investigative teams and increased activity in the field over the past 20 years. He's explored lived spaces of conferences and investigative sites and field of study in paranormal organizations who study strange occurrences like ghosts and UFOs, mythological creatures like the Sasquatch and Loch Ness, as well as crop circles. Paul, is there a moment in your life that you look at where you think you maybe became interested in paranormal activities yourself? First of all, thanks for having me on the show, Lucas. I think like many of us, when we're young, we get attracted to intense and mysterious stories. Certainly with uh, UFO ghosts, monsters, growing up in England, they, they were always kind of looming large in TV shows and literature and so on. I do remember uh, before the internet, when I was a kid, I used to get delivery once a month of paranormal, supernatural magazines. I think that can be traced back to a formative moment in getting in, interested in the topic. Yeah, so it definitely stretches back when I was in my preteens, for sure. Is there maybe one that stood out for you? Yeah, so you can still get them today, these paranormal magazines, and they, they often regurgitate the same kind of uh, topics, like the monsters, ghosts, UFOs. I do think I had my earliest fascination was probably with the UFOs, particularly with the Bermuda Triangle, disappearances of planes and ships, and whether there was anything to do with extraterrestrial involvement there. The idea that there are these other living entities beyond the Earth that are visiting us, technology which is beyond our capabilities, there's something about that that I find more threatening than perhaps a, a larger hominid ape like Sasquatch or even ghosts, people from the past. It's something about the aliens that stayed with me even to this day in terms of the fascination. When it comes to film and TV, is there something that piques your interest in terms of the paranormal or unanswered questions for yourself? Yeah, I think movies, popular culture in terms of the magazines, folklore and literature and so on. I, I think the way we can understand it is that stories and entertainment and messages, discourses in popular culture, they, they kind of precede us. They, we kind of fall into place with these narratives and these messages, and that's how we navigate the world around us. So again, growing up as a kid, like thinking about Star Wars, uh, E.T., Spielberg's Close Encounters. We're literally sort of absorbing these messages. And I definitely think that is an important aspect to our paranormal culture, ways of seeing the world about who we are, where we come from. Academics have written on this about how the paranormal, it's gone mainstream in the past several decades in terms of the rise of educational channels like History Channel. Now we can watch Ancient Aliens, Animal Planet, Finding Bigfoot. So there's been a sort of crossover between movies sci-fi genres, also documentaries and educational channels. Science fiction, it continues today. Last week I watched June with the family, just an incredible portrayal of another planet, different times, civilizations. But of course, it has resonances with our cultures today. 
there's kind of a Dickensian Islamic aesthetic to the movie. It's my understanding it's very popular today, that movie. With the investigative teams that you work with, is there like a common thread for them? Yeah. So in my work, I look at paranormal investigation groups. They kind of map onto those the three paranormal phenomena, the, the ghosts, monsters, UFOs. I've looked at a crop circles conference in England as well. But certainly working with the ghost groups, about half a dozen in the lower mainland region of Vancouver, when I first meet up with the teams, they are asked my interests, just like yourself, what is motivating me for the research? They will bring up the various ghost hunting TV shows, which have been very popular. On the one hand, they like them. They identify with them, of course, because they're using these various gadgets in an attempt to find or disprove the occurrence of ghostly entities. But they'd be very quick to say those TV shows, what they don't show is the real hard work that goes into investigating ghosts. Typically, you'd arrive at dusk because... They like to do these investigations at night to reduce what they call contamination. That is to say, you know, cars, people talking in the street nearby. The last thing you want if you're using a lot of audio devices is everyday noise. The investigation may last until 1 a.m., maybe 2, depending on the kinds of activity they think is occurring. A lot of the time is just waiting around in the dark in a room if it's at someone's residence. And they will joke, these shows, they don't show the boring aspects and the patience required and how a lot of the time there's not much going on during the proper investigations versus the cut and splice TV shows, which will remove all of the waiting. But actually, it's during the waiting, you know, where people are talking about what happened during the day, their, their lives and so on, that, that they're still a, full of interest. So there's an admiration, I think, of the TV shows, but also a distance from them as well in terms of something that they see primarily as entertainment rather than a real true reflection of the business of ghost investigations. That sounds really interesting. This idea of waiting for something to happen, almost like the patience of a surfer waiting for that perfect wave to roll. Yeah. Just like in the Sasquatch investigations that I've been on, I've worked with BFRO, which is the Bigfoot research organization. It's the largest Bigfoot research organization in North America. I've been on two expeditions with them in uh, the British Columbia region, and not far from Vancouver at uh, Chehalis Lake near Harrison Hot Springs, historical hotspot for Bigfoot uh, Sasquatch sightings. They will be conducting these calls, wood blocks, they'll be hitting chunks of, of wood or hitting trees or doing the screams or the calls, and they'll be a, literally a waiting for a response. Often there'll be a bit of silence, there'll be maybe some kind of noise. It's the waiting and the actual enjoyment or the kick of any kind of response or the semblance of a conversation or response is key to what drives these people. Some of these expeditions you've gone on, what would you say is the most interesting one you've been on? Is there one that stood out to you? Yeah, there's always scenes or moments during an investigation. If we'll stick with Sasquatch expeditions, this is a near Chehalis Lake, about 90 minutes away from Vancouver, very remote. You have to go through Forest Service roads to get the quiet when it's midweek during the summer. There's this little area known as Mystery Valley. And we must have arrived uh, again when it was dark during the dusk, about 8 p.m. We we're setting up. So we, we've taken a truck up there and we're about to get out the truck and then suddenly this big digger shows up this is actually about three quarters of the way into the investigation so this is about midnight out of nowhere this huge digger truck shows up and we think oh well 
this is just not good. We're going to have to just leave. It's it's making all this noise, and we've been trying to attract Sasquatch with the various calls and scanning with the infrared devices. The, the trek eventually leaves. I recall the team I was with, they sense a kind of shift in the energy once the trek left. And then we started to hear what sounded like very uh, powerful guttural kind of chest noises from, from on the other side of this kind of small valley. And, and some people suggested, well, that, that sounds like some kind of large being that is, is breathing back or, or making sounds back to our calls. Other things happened during this kind of evening, which was pretty interesting. In a nutshell, two people thought that they saw a juvenile Sasquatch. I did not, but they swear they saw something cross the road. After the expedition, I did a bit of research along with the other investigators about what this strange noise could be. And it, it actually sounded very much like a nighthawk diving down at a sheer kind of vertical drop it may have been that you know this mysterious sound was simply a, a nighthawk around that forest and i think my point here is that with paranormal investigations it's not so much what really is happening a paranormal object can never really be caught up with it, it can't be put into a box for lab laboratory testing or something the ghost sasquatch yeah. ufo always evades our grasp there'll always be paranormal until we someone gets one but what happens during these investigations is they become kind of arenas for stories, narratives, and, and very intense feelings about the possibility of something very strange occurring. For me, that Mystery Valley evening really stands out. When I write a, a book on my research, I want to really draw out the drama. It sounds like some of these adventures about trying to capture brings on the stories that we all gravitate towards this idea of the mysterious and trying to discover something unknown or something that maybe somebody else has never seen before. Of the phenomena you've explored, is there one that you believe has some grain of truth? Is there one that you believe in? That's a good question. The serious investigators are utterly convinced in the material reality or the existential reality of these beings. So people join ghost groups usually because they've had a profound experience, like some extraordinary experience and worked alongside with the serious investigators or the existential reality of these beings. The same way that someone will fly to a UFO conference because they had an extraordinary experience in terms of witnessing a craft or even encountering an alien being. What's interesting is that they themselves can hardly believe what happened, particularly with the ghost and the UFO folks. The Sasquatch investigators, they sincerely believe there is a unclassified or a undocumented extant hominid in the woods. They're utterly unshakable in their faith. People go to the UFO conferences to get to the bottom of what happened to them if they had missing time during an apparent abduction or if they saw a strange craft. They join a ghost group to get peace of mind or talk to other people who've had similar experiences, seeking non-judgment and a kind of safe space that they can do these things. That's a long way to get to what about me. When I interview and I've worked with them, I don't think there's any kind of profound delusion or mental instability, psychological lack or something. It's like yourself, Lucas, and many of the listeners. It doesn't take long to find a family member, friend or colleague 
who will say, I had this crazy encounter or I've seen a ghost. It's the same with me. I'm also a professor in Department of Geography at Simon Fraser University and a colleague who saw a ghost on a staircase on Vancouver Island. And that's that. They're utterly convinced. For myself, during this research, I, I can't come away from it and say, yes, I can tell the listeners right now that ghosts, uh, a UFO, Sasquatch definitively exist. Crop circles do. That's why they're a bit different compared to those other entities. But I think you'd be kind of arrogant to rule out the possibility of a paranormal entity, because I don't think we fully understand everything that works in the universe. And I don't think it can be easily reduced to matter. Your mention of crop circles and the film like Signs, where there is this whole exploration of aliens potentially creating yeah. these symbols. Where do you think that originates? Having worked with investigative teams and having done the research yourself, is that human activity? So you just identified an interesting moment with these paranormal cultures. The crossover here would be the UFOs and the crop circles. Well, we know that a lot of crop circles, human-made, that people have done them for advertisements, arts, obviously hoaxes. What's interesting with the crop circles is the authors are unknown. That is to say, the authors or the makers haven't come out and said, yeah, we, we did this. Some crop circles like the galaxy formation. So if you Google galaxy formation, Milk Hill, it's an absolutely huge formation that in comparison to when National Geographic got these, I think it's about three or four kind of skilled crop circle makers to do a pretty good crop circle. This galaxy formation was about 16 times bigger in terms of the number of circles and so on. No one kind of owned up to it. And the precision of the shapes is such that it would be quite the feat during daytime, let alone a short amount of maybe four or five hours during the, the summer to produce something like that and not be caught, not to be detected. In my work, I take a middle position. I don't rule out the phenomena or the kind of witnessing of these things is kind of purely uh, delusional and wrong. But on the other hand, I don't take for face value everything that people say. I think it's important to kind of take, I guess, an agnostic position with it. The majority of crop circles are absolutely made by humans. We don't know in terms of identifying which humans did this. Some crop circle researchers suggest that if you look, and there's been laboratory tests, if you look at the, the stalks, an authentic crop circle, I'd use that authentic term, that the stalks, they're kind of bent in a, in a more kind of elegant or different way than merely trodden on. There's been sightings of strange lights, humming noises in the formation of crop circles. In that paranormal move, the, there's always this kind of gap or crack of uncertainty it doesn't take much then to link it up with other paranormal entities such as the UFOs like you did quite nicely there, Lucas, with the crop circles. The other world of paranormal breaches religion and faith. Is there one kind of area there that you really have more interest in than others? So I was thinking with ghost investigations, I need to look into this further, but I imagine if someone had a very ghastly, haunting experience with a ghost, presumably in, uh, say, the 50s, 60s Canada, the Catholic Church may have been called in, or if someone felt they were being possessed, the Catholic Church may be thinking in terms of exorcism, which continue today. There's exorcism conferences that happen in the Vatican. It's very rare that this occurs, but the church 
would have provided some answers or guidance. Whereas today, religion is still a very important part of everyday life in Canada and many parts of the world. You have different kinds of cultures, different religions with the internet. You know, people's recourse to knowledge and answers is very much more scattered and fragmented. And the ghost investigators reminded me of almost like a kind of pagan setup in the sense that each has each individual member can have their own sort of belief, but still operate within the group. There isn't like a main kind of rules, be quiet, be trusting, respect the clients and so on. But you can operate on a ghost investigation team with your own kind of theory, your own uh, faith in terms of what the spirit or energy is. In fact, they often include people who were quite skeptical of, of ghosts too, but they actually worked well with the group in terms of debunking claims that someone's house is haunted. So there's definitely resonances with religious practice, not only in terms of belief, faith in terms of believing in things that can't be seen or are blurry, but also in the various rituals as well. We have to have a certain amount of belief in science. Science has its religious structure in terms of followers. Issues of faith and belief, it's certainly central to religion, but also in many kind of social, cultural practices today. With investigating ghosts, would you say films like Ghostbusters, Afterlife, do you believe that some of these teams are influenced by some of that media? Like The Conjuring, that is based on two investigators 30 or 40 years ago. Do you feel like some of those films influence the way that people investigate or search out the unknown? Yeah, with the ghost investigators, especially, they have a heavy presence on Twitter, social media, Instagram. You could be living next door to one. It's not like they're uh, very strange people. So on their Twitter feed, they will post memes from Ghostbusters or they will celebrate, especially Halloween, using various popular cultural references. So they enjoy that genre of ghosts, those movies, but they get really serious during the investigation though. They never charge, it's always voluntary because they see themselves as a service. People say they, they would look at commercial properties, private residences, or they may hone their skills on a kind of heritage house or a famous ghost haunted site. With the people in their homes, they would call them up and say something strange going on, or my daughter feels like her bedroom's haunted. And they go in there primarily wanting to help the client, give them closure. They can't really operate in, in an entertainment space. They are very much focused on doing their job, unpaid, of course. You could argue, though, that the way they interact with one another, the very endeavor of what they're doing is still mirroring or echoes the ghost investigation TV shows. If you play golf, for example, or sport, when you see on TV, it is a, a completely different world once you're playing it yourself. Yeah. So it, it's, it's very much a different activity. They probably are up to date with the latest episode even of these ghost investigation shows, but they're very serious about the, the task. So they are very much influenced by those shows or films, sometimes they try and emulate that a bit, you'd say? I think they actually are quite inventive. So I would say that you could imagine, oh, did they pick up some, some strategy or tactics from a ghost investigation show? Sure, they may see a, a gadget. Off, they often have gadgets that they use on the show. But I think when you go into a ghost investigation, 
there's always a kind of unique situation, like the way a house is laid out, the, the kind of occurrences that have occurred. So I've been on a ghost investigation in South Surrey in a very kind of rural, remote family home. But I've been on a ghost investigation in the West End of Vancouver, retired couple in a condo. And each kind of situation is presents its own world or universe to the investigators. So I think they're really not thinking much about the the shows at that stage, but you could say, well, they're kind of unconsciously, they're emulating them. I actually would say that they are kind of making their own <laughs> script. They have to be kind of responsive to what's going to happen during the evening. I, I would say they're kind of running their own shows <laughs> at that stage. I know some TV shows may try and capture that for the, the audiences that demand excitement and, and so on. So I do think it's a good question. Like, what is the boundary between art and real life? Often I think we like to say, yeah, real life mimics art. Sometimes there's an artistry to their practices as well, a genuine drama unfolding as they do their investigations. On these investigations, what would you say for these investigators, they feel about these spirits? Do they see them as harmful in all these film, television, media? The thing is, it's always about unfinished business or there's something that hasn't been fulfilled for this ghost for them in order to move on. Yeah, they're aware of those theories that there's unfinished business. There was like this petrified pain that's still stuck. Their first approach to the spirits or the energy would be certainly one of respect. They are also very good at this, particularly because they're Canadian, but they're always very polite and respectful to the spirits. There's usually a leader in the group and he or she will say, look, we, we don't antagonize the ghosts or the spirit. We're respectful. Many of your listeners, yourself, probably have seen the ghost box uh, kind of device. It runs through frequencies and it relays these voices back. The ghost investigators will ask questions and it would be always uh, a kind of polite, could you please respond? We are here out of respect and the last thing they want is some kind of antagonistic relationship with whatever it is. So certainly respect, politeness, peace. It's often not to antagonize the entity. So you'd say Canadians <laughs> have a good perspective on that. Would you say that might change from the UK? Have you done any investigations overseas? Yeah, I've only focused in the Vancouver Low Mainland for the ghost investigations. Okay. I think you would have to say that the cultural backgrounds and the etiquette, the mores would vary across space. So that's a cultural geography moment for me. I actually was in Germany speaking to a ghost group. I gave a talk in Frankfurt and the ghost group actually took me to this castle, quite rural, just outside of a village near Frankfurt. And it turned out there was a ghost dog that was seen in the, the castle grounds. And for me, this really reflects that question, how the culture would influence a ghost group. So there's always a trigger object to attract a ghost. Can you guess what the trigger object was in this uh, ghost group from Frankfurt for a dog? Like a bone? Close. It was a, it was a sausage. A sausage. <laughs> it was a Frankfurt. So they put this sausage on the tree trunk. Yeah, pretty serious. There's a, a really good example of how culture affects the groups. And it's people that are running these investigations, it would definitely inform their practices. I think with TV shows, this is very much centered on the West or 
North America, UK has a lot of ghost shows. I don't think there is popular, say, in other parts of the world. Of course, there's lots of uh, relationships to the dead and ghosts in Mexico, for example, Singapore, Southeast Asia, you know, relationship to ancestries and the dead. I know in Chinese culture, there's a, a, a kind of a distanciation or more a, a kind of fear towards ghosts and the dead. If I could extend the study, I, I would certainly go beyond uh, Canada primarily. Okay, so you probably look at different cultures and how they address things. I can't remember which culture it is, but I just recall this idea of how they set a plate for the grandparent that isn't there, yeah. you know, like almost a respect in some cultures for that, that ghost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it kind of overlaps with some of the big questions of what it means to be a human being. Is there life after death? Would be for the ghost investigation cultures. Is there life beyond Earth that fits in with the UFO investigations? So it's dealing with some very kind of serious, profound questions, these investigation cultures. Yeah, that universal kind of exploring to find out the truth about the paranormal for sure yeah yeah you're listening to cjsr 88.5 i'm lucas anders thanks for joining us here on moving radio we've had a conversation about the paranormal and its relation to pop culture and media thanks for your time and it's been a pleasure having you. I appreciate you being here with us, Dr. Paul Kingsbury out of Simon Fraser University. Yeah, my pleasure too, Lucas. Thanks a lot.